So when I was in seminary, one of the requirements that I had in order to graduate was I had to take a preaching class. So actually, I had to take two classes. One of those was a class where we learned how to write sermons or develop sermons, and the other was a preaching lab class, right, where you actually went in and preached sermons, and then your class told you how terrible they were, So, and uh, which really actually prepares you for preaching in the church, because you get ready for the feedback that's going to come, or from your spouse. You get ready for that as well, all the feedback that comes. But I know some of you are saying, you must not have done very well in that class. Maybe you should go back and take it over again. But, but I, that's done. I got my degree. I got out. But, but I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the professor I have for my preaching class, he could write great sermons and deliver them, but he was the driest lecturer I had ever heard. You know, it was just one of these, it was just monotone, rolling on, whatever. And he had these great, just this great voice when he really kicked it in. He actually had been on the radio for a pretty, pretty long time before he, he got into, felt called to ministry and got his degree and started teaching at the, the seminary, the, the preaching class. He, he kind of reminded me of Gil Santos, you know, the guy who just died, right? He was kind of looked like him, was kind of built like him, and he had a voice like him. And, and so, you know, and um, I can remember him one time talking to us in class about an experience that he had had much earlier. He, you know, even though he had been in radio and that kind of stuff, he, he had always been engaged in some form of ministry. And, and he had been working at one point in time in a ministry that worked with at-risk kids. So these are young kids, elementary age kids. His, he was working specifically with boys who, who were just at risk. They, these were likely to get in trouble, didn't have a lot of direction in their lives, didn't have family to really direct them, kids who were in foster care, other kinds of things. And, and he was teaching these kids, working with them on a regular basis. And he said, you know, he, he really felt like he was beginning to develop some real rapport with these kids. They were starting to open up to him, respond to him well, and that kind of thing. And he said, and then at one point in time, just, he, he could pinpoint the day, he said, he could just tell that it changed. They just, they just shut down on him and, 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 and disconnected and, and wouldn't let him in anymore. And we went back and he kind of re- really reviewed what had happened. And, 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 he, and he could trace it back to the day that he had taught the kids a Bible lesson about the fact that God was their father. And in that moment, as these kids thought about their biological dads, they said, if that's God, I don't want to have anything to do with him. He's been absent, he's been unhelpful, he's been destructive, he's whatever. And so their, their image of fatherhood destroyed their ability to grasp God through that image. I've never forgotten that story. Because I think images, conceptions, perceptions are very powerful. Not only in the way we live our, our regular lives, but also the way we live our spiritual lives. And I think one of the biggest barriers that you and I experience and are able to be able to really be people who live by grace is that we have these pictures of God, these images, these conceptions about who God is that just don't open the door for us to really experience his grace. You know, we have these pictures of who we are and who other people is and what it means to walk with God that just are barriers to us actually getting in on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, as we've just seen in Easter, right? You know, we just, we just concluded the series a few weeks ago where and we, we arrived at the ultimate conclusion that Easter changes everything. Say that with me. Easter changes everything. I mean, it changes who we are. It changes how we can live, how we can live, it cha- you know, and, it, and it changes where we're going. It changes everything. And what it really does is it transports us into a life 
that is supposed to be permeated in and, and just saturated with grace. And yet many of us struggle to live by grace. We live our lives with a lot of guilt, a lot of judgment, a lot of sense of unworthiness, and etc. And, and part of the barrier to really living by grace is making sure we get our mental pictures of God right. And that's what I want to focus on today. I put on my best funeral suit, right? Because I want you to take all those images that are not helpful in experiences of God's grift, and I want you just to take them out and bury them, right? And, And I want you to resurrect, if you will, some images that are laying dormant in your life that really can set you free into God's grace. And I want to do it today from a story that is very familiar to most of us. And it's found in Luke's Gospel, the 15th chapter. There's a reference to it on the back side of your handout for today where there's a little sermon outline. Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 11 through 32. For those of you using one of our pew Bibles, or Bible right underneath your chair, you're going to find our text on page 886. Let me say that one more time. 886, Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. Now, before I read the story to you, let me give you a couple of pieces that I want you to understand. First of all, this isn't the only story in this chapter. And I'm going to refer to a couple of them, but we're not going to read them. He starts out in the beginning when he's having some kind of interaction with the Pharisees. He starts out with with telling the story about a shepherd who gets home from the end of the day, and he counts his sheep that are in the, that are in the open pasture, and there's, and there's only 99. And one of them's missing. And he talks about how the shepherd leaves the rest of them in safety and spends the entire night searching, looking for that one missing sheep, and then just has an all-out celebration when he finds it. Then he tells a story of a woman who loses 10% of her assets. She's got 10 coins. She loses one. She knows it's in the house. She gets out her best flashlight, her best lamp, and she just turns the house upside down until she finds it. And when she finds it, she throws a party. She just can't. She's running out. Hey, guess what? I found it. She's all excited. And then Jesus tells a story that we're going to look at today, which we often call the prodigal son, but it's really a story about the loving father. And that's part of our dilemma, right? We, we take everything we say and we just turn it around and make it about us. But it's really a story about the loving father. But I want to tell you why we're looking at a story. You know, this is something that really hadn't dawned on me before. You know, the Bible really never makes much of an effort to define God's grace. Let that sink in for a minute. Here we, we have this pivotal thing that our entire spiritual life is built on. It is by grace that we are saved by faith. And the Bible spends some time talking about faith, right? There's a chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, that talks about what faith is and the impact that it has. The Bible spends some time talking about love. We have this chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that lays out what love really is. You never find that with grace. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is full of grace and truth, but he never really tried to define truth. He just told us stories about what it looks like when it works and then lived it out in his own relationship with other people. So we're going to look at this story today, and, and, and I want to use it to introduce the conceptions, the mental pictures, the assumptions we need to have about God, about 
others and about the kingdom if we're going to really be people who learn how to live by grace. So let's just follow along. Again, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, on page 886. So, so he also said, and that's a reference to Jesus, he's continuing to speak with these, with these Pharisees and scribes who are complaining about him associating with people who, who, who are unworthy, who are below God's grace, who don't have God's favor, who, who are the outcasts, if you will. And so he says, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have come to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Now, um, so by Jewish law, the older brother would have gotten two-thirds of the estate. The younger brother would have gotten one-third. Usually that didn't happen until the father died. Sometimes the father would say, okay, you know what? I don't want to run this anymore. So you take the two-thirds. You take the one-third. I still have a claim to the profit that comes from the land, but, but you guys run it, and it's yours to do with, but I still have a claim to it. And therefore, they couldn't liquidate it or do anything different until the father actually passed away, even though he'd given over management of it to others. That's not what happened here. The younger son comes to him and says, you know what, Dad? You you know, the life you live is not the life I want to live. And you're standing in my way. Can I have what's coming to me now so I can go live my life before my life is over? And so the father grants his request, and he distributes the assets. So not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he, had, all he had, and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. You know, he, he goes off to, the, to, the, to, the, to the, high, the high place, if you will, the, the, the glamorous destination, and you know what? It's no McDonald's value menu for him, man. He's, he's eating $75 steaks. He's not staying in, 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 a, in a reasonable Airbnb, man, he's got the penthouse. He's, he's living it. He's just squandering his estate in foolish living. And after he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. For a Jewish person, this is the lowest of the lows, right? To work with pigs meant that you were cursed, Right? And so, you know, and, and the, the, the rabbinic teaching was, you know, anyone who works with pigs is cursed. And so this guy is, he has hit rock bottom, right? He's, he's feeding pigs. He longed, it tells us in verse 16, to eat his fill from the carob pods, pods the pigs were eating, but, but no one would even give him any. When he came to his senses, at a moment, that aha moment, he says, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am, I'm, I'm dying of hunger. He says, listen, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go to my father, and this is what I'm going to say to him. Father, I've sinned against heaven. What I've done is not right in God's eyes, but it certainly hasn't been right in your eyes. It's not fair to you. I'm, and it's not, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up, and he went to his father. But... But while the son was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told the slaves, Quick, bring out the robe 
and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. And that would have been like a, a signet ring, right? It was the ability where he could like stamp a document with his ring. So he had the right to represent the family. He now had authority, position in the family again. Put sandals on his feet because only servants, slaves went barefoot. All free men wore sandals, right? There's an old Negro spiritual that says, you know, they're, they're praying for that day when all God's children have shoes, you know, it's the same kind of idea. It says, put sandals on. You know, he's, he's not a slave. He's not a servant. He's free. He's a part of the family. So he said, then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine, this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, Right? And as he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he summoned one of the servants. And he asked him what these things meant. He says, well, your brother's here. Right? Your, your, your brother is here. He told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because of him. Because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry. Became angry. Didn't want to go in. So his father came out. And pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. And I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young coat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this, when this, this son of yours comes, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughter the fattened calf for him. You're rewarding this irresponsible behavior. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had. We, we just had to. It was, it was necessary. It was a mustness to. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and it's found. So again, I, I want to plant some images of God, of others, and of the kingdom in your heart and mine. And hopefully we'll take all the ones that don't belong there and take them out and bury them and let them be gone so that we can be released to live by God's grace. And the first thing that we really need to change, the change of scenery that we need, is the way that we see the Father. We need to see the, change the way that we see God. You know, a lot of times I think we have this, these images of God that just kind of stand out in our mind that are, that are so grace-limiting, right? You know, I think a lot of times we think of, of God like a, like, a, like a traffic cop, right? You know, how, how do you feel when a police car comes up behind you when you're driving, right? You know, what, what's the first thing you say? You look at your speed speedometer, right? And you bring it down a little bit, two hands on the wheel. You, you don't turn without using the signal. How many of you, like me, change lanes without using the signal? But not when a cop's behind you, right? You know, all right, I, I got to really watch my P's and Q's because I don't want to get a ticket. Or when you're, you're driving, you're scanning the horizon to see if there's a cop in the median down the road, and you make a mental note in the places they hide so you know when to slow down when he's there. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. And we have this imagery of God, that God is one of these guys who's, who's out there, and he's in his governing of the world. He's waiting for that moment when he can catch us missing the rules so he can give us a ticket and make us pay, right? And, and that's a lot of us, the imagery that we have of God. 
right? This God is this, this kind of this cosmic traffic cop, right? Who's looking over our lives, riding our bumper, trying to make sure that we're not doing what we're not supposed to do. Or some of us have this imagery, and at least maybe the ones who grew up in my imagery, that God's kind of like, you know, um, the principal in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Any of you guys seen that movie? Remember Principal Rooney, right? The, the goofball, you know, Ferris and his buddy are going to take the day off, etc. It's too gorgeous to go to school. And, 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 and Principal Rooney is absolutely determined to catch him in the middle of his lie, right? You know, and, and so, I'm just trying to have a little fun. And, and, all the, all the, and, we, and we see God as like, he's just the one who's trying to catch us at it so he can, he, can, he can, you know, suspend us, if you will, right? And we have this imagery that God is, you know, trying to make these phone calls to the house and peeking in our windows and creeping around the backyard, trying to see if we're doing something we're not supposed to. That's, that's the picture a lot of us live with, right? Or, or, or somehow or another, we, we kind of think of God as like some kind of a, if you will, a cosmic accountant, if you will. I, you know, this is not a great terminology to use. It's probably going to make some of you mad, but sometimes I think we think of God like this, this divine Santa Claus. You know, God's up there and say, okay, that was naughty. This is nice. That's naughty. That's nice. And so God's this cosmic accountant that's keeping a balance sheet. And you get down to the end of the year and say, all right, you know, the, the nice outweighs the naughty, so this year they get a gift underneath the tree. Boat, this year the naughty outweighed the nice and the lump of coal goes in this. You know, and then we, we have these imageries of God that somehow or another, you know, he's, so, what's the picture you see of God in this story? Right, you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing, right? And here's the predominant perspective that you need to have on who God is, that I need to have on who God is in terms of my relationship with him. And here's the first thing, is God is an adoring father who is hopelessly in love with us because we're precious to him. God is an adoring father who is hopelessly in love with us because we are precious to him. And let me just tickle that out from the text just a little bit, right? You know, what's the image you have? Beginning with the first story. You know, God's the shepherd. He comes in at the end of the day, tired, exhausted, ready to eat. He's counting up the sheep in the middle of the field who are bedding down for the night, and there's one missing. That's me, or it's you, right? There's one missing, and, 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 and one says, all right, you know what? He gets him settled down, and, and he's going to spend the entire night looking for the lost sheep. And when he finds that missing piece, that one that's precious to him, right, he's going he's gonna to throw a party. He's going to celebrate. Right? Because God is an adoring Father who adores us so much that He actually lets us leave because we don't want to stay anymore, like the youngest son. But, but, he, but He adores us and He's looking for us and He's ready for us. And, and you see the story, it continues the same with the coin. This actually happened in, in our family recently. My, my mother in law, you know, my, my mother in law has been a widow for about 10 years, a little over 10 years, and she lost her wedding ring. And she was just devastated, right? So it's not like she sat down in a recliner and said, eh, no big deal, forget it. I mean, she, she, she's doing exactly, She's calling every place she had been in the last 48 hours. She's going back there and looking, seeing if anybody turned anything in. She's turning her, her place upside down, looking for it. And you know where it was? She found it. It was smack dab in the middle of her parking spot in her building. 
It must have fallen off when she was opened up the back of her car and it slid out and dropped and it was just smack dab in the middle of her parking space. But man, she, she left no stone unturned. She probably called you guys to pray that she'd find it, right? I mean, I know she called us. To do, I mean, that's God looking for us. That's God looking for us. It, you, you know, it's God, God is this adoring Father who is hopelessly in love with us because we are absolutely precious to him, right? And that's where it starts. If you don't have that image of God, you're never going to live a life by grace. You, you say, oh, God's looking at all the things I did wrong. God looks at you, and he is an adoring Father who finds you absolutely precious and is willing to stay up night after night after night looking for you in the bushes until he can bring you back into the pasture with the rest of the sheep. The other picture I want you to really have here is is of a God that the picture that we have of God is that he's a track star ready to run to us. Right? You know, he's standing guard, keeping an eye out on a hill, and then as soon as we come into into the Scenery, man, God tightens up his Nikes and off he's going, he's running. You may not know this, but for a Jewish male to run was extremely embarrassing. You know, this was back in the day. I should have lived then because they weren't into jogging, right? You know, this, all that kind of stuff. That was out the window. They didn't do any of that stuff, right? You know, and, and, and so, and, and, but you get this picture that as soon as, as soon as the father sees the son, right, he's, he's, he's out the door and he's running to him at a sprint. And, 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 you know, sometimes I think we have this idea that, you know, we, we, you know, we have this picture that God's waiting for us with open arms, right? You know, there's a big statue in Brazil, right, of, of Jesus on top of the hill with his arms open. That's, that's not the right picture. It should be down in the starting position, ready to bolt to us as soon as we come into view. You know, God, God, that's the way God, you know, you know what? You're in, I'm not going to let you get away. I'm not going to let you change your mind between there and here. So I'm coming to you. You know, and, and when he gets there, he just immediately welcomes them in, right? You know, and, and there's no time. You know, it's not like, all right, I'm glad you're home. Let's see how this goes. And, you know, if you perform okay, at some point in time, we'll give you some sandals. You know, and, and if, if you seem like you've turned a corner, then we'll give you a ring. Right? And, and, and you know, and then maybe you'll earn enough and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll give you the rope. So you look like somebody. It's nice. Immediate. Right? Immediate. You know, sometimes we, have, we think we have this idea, okay, like I said, when God forgives us in Jesus, now we have a chance to somehow do it right the second time around. Uh, it's all grace. Remember the encounter when Jesus was hanging on the cross? And one of the thieves is kind of throwing some, some you know, barbs at him. And the other one says, what, what are you doing? We're here because we're guilty. You know, and then he looks at Jesus and says, you know, remember to me when you come in, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, well, you know, if you get off that cross and you live okay for a while, I'll let you in. What does he say to him? He says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. It's all grace. It's all grace. Immediately, the sandals on, ring on the finger, rope. It's, God is eager to run to us and fully bring us back in. And then on top of that, God loves to be an event planner. Right? And he's got the organically raised calf ready to go for the party. He'd been anticipating this moment, right? And that, that's the picture of God that we have. He, he's, he's just pumped to accept us back into his clan. And that's the image that needs to be stuck into our mind, that God is this adoring father 
who finds it so precious, he's turning over every stone, he's, he's looking under every sofa, and as soon as he finds us, it doesn't take what length is it, he's going to run to us and make sure we get back into the fold, and as soon as we embrace the Father again, we're full-fledged members of the family without doing a single thing. And, and the imagery that stands out in this text to us is that the biggest barrier to you and I experiencing God's grace is us, not God. You know, when you look at verse 20, it says, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and said, you know what, I'll wait, see what he has to say, let's see what he does, and then maybe I'll have compassion on him. No, it says, and while he's still a long way off, before he even gets a chance to utter the words, Father, I'm sorry, he's already given him compassion. The only barrier to God's compassion and forgiveness in our lives is us, whether we're ready to receive it and live with it. Because God's already given up to Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, and I don't have time to go here, but these, these, these three stories are a template for the whole life and mission of Jesus. He came looking for us and leads us home. It's, it, it, it's, it's the entire template of the life of Jesus. If you don't get this, you never get the life of Jesus. The teaching piece, all that kind of stuff, that, that's, those are wonderful things that go with it. The primary reason Jesus came is because God was looking for the lost sheep that were out. He's ready to run to the son who's coming home. But, and so we need not only to see God as this adoring father, we need to make sure we see us as precious. But guess what? God has built our lives where they're full of people. Right? And I, I I don't know about you, but one of, sometimes one of the biggest barriers to us living our lives by grace is that we have people in our lives that make it hard for us to be gracious. Anybody got any of those? Hopefully it's not the person sitting next to you, right? You know, and uh, if it is, we can have a conversation afterwards. So, and, uh, but I don't know who I'm going to talk to, so I'll have to get somebody. I know I'm only teasing. Um, you know, but our life, God has designed us to need other people. Right, and, and, and one of the, you know, there's this interesting mix where the scripture talks about, you know, God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's this, our ability to experience God's grace is related to our ability to extend God's grace to others. And that's where the whole story of the older brother comes in, right? The older brother comes back in from the field and he says, you know what, Dad, I, I've been here the whole time. I've never let you down. Everything you've asked me to do, do I've done. That, you know, so, and, and, and what do you do? This useless, reprobate, irrespect, disrespectful, irresponsible son of yours, not mine, your son. It's not my brother. He's your son. He comes home, and you're rewarded all. What in the world is the matter with you, Dad? And there's no grace in his heart. And he feels no grace. And, and I got to tell you, you and I, we, we've got to change the way that we see other people if we're going to be people who live by grace. So, see, let me give you a couple of examples. I'm hoping I can, I can get this to resonate, where there's a little bit of vibration going on in your heart and mind. But we often look at other people, and we're just like, we're just like the older brother. We want to disown them, right? This is, you know, it's like, this isn't my brother. He's your son. You know, we don't have anything to do with him. We want to disown him. And the father at the end, what does he say? He says, this brother of yours, right? God is pleading for us not to disown them, but to own them. 
Why? Because now we're a part of the family, right? We've been welcomed back in. We got the ring on our finger. We got the sandals on our shoes. And, and he wants us to own them because now our job is to join the Father standing on the hill ready to welcome him back. He wants us to own them, right? We often look at the people who are a part of our lives as the problem in our lives where God says they're actually the purpose of our lives. He says, Jesus says to his disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right? So now the, the people are the purpose of our lives. And, and I can change it. You know, as the Father has sent me, where I'm looking for the people in the hill, now I'm sending you the exact same way. People are not the problems in their lives. They are the purpose in our lives, right? And, and we need to totally change our perspective on who people are. It doesn't mean they're not imperfect. It doesn't mean they're not annoying, right? But it, or, or they cause us problems and hurt and pain. But our, the people who are in our lives are precious to God, and we need to own them and see them as our mission in life. Is to reach them. You know, Christina and I yesterday, we went out to the funeral in in, uh, in um, upstate New York for Jim Cole, one of our former elders. And so we were driving home yesterday afternoon, and the the high the, the, the traffic was moving, but it was fairly heavy, right? So we're in this section between Rochester and Syracuse, and we're, we're speeding along. And I'm still driving. Christina took a stint a little later in the day, and and um. And, and so, you know, we're one of these things. We're in the left-hand lane. We're, we're making a good clip, right? We're a little over the speed limit, right? But not obnoxiously slow. And there's like nine cars ahead of us, right, stretching out for the better part of a half mile. And then there's these slower cars in the right-hand lane. And this Prius comes up on my bumper, right? You know, somebody trying to save the planet, driving their Prius, right? I got a hybrid myself, so I'm, you know. And, and, and they get right on my bumper. And obviously, the whole line of traffic, for as far as you can see, is not going fast enough for them. So there's a little window in the right-hand lane for them to kind of get over. So they, they, they get up and they start to kind of go up. It's not a big window. It's not like they had a half a mile, right? You know, it's just, just I don't know, 10, 12 car lengths. They speed up pretty good. And by the time they get up where they have to slow down, they're barely past my front bumper, right? And, and then clearly they're starting like they're going to come over. And so for their own safety, I sped up a little bit so we wouldn't be too close. <laughs> You know, because then I'd be right on their bumper, and they'd be like, but you know, wouldn't be a car length between anybody and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, they, they had to break off and go back, just like I would have had to do if they had pulled in front of me and that kind of stuff. We've, a little farther down the road, there was a much longer window on the right-hand side, right? So they pulled over again and went by us, right? And, and, and they waved at us. It was just minus four fingers, right? So, and... Um, so, I mean, we're, we're driving along in a car, and so one of us in the car, not me, says, what a jerk, <laughs> right? You know, and me being a spiritual giant, I'm thinking to myself, this person really needs Jesus. Well, I should pray for them right now. You know, <laughs> I was thinking it. I was thinking it. Now, Now, that's a funny story, and, and, and you know what? The right foot is so hard to sanctify, you know, and, and I just haven't gotten to my place where it says, you know what, if, you're, if your right foot sins against you, cut it off. I just haven't gotten there yet, you know, but, um, but the funny story, it highlights, what's our reaction to people? And is the thought that enters into our mind, this is a person who needs Jesus, or this is a person who needs to grow in Jesus. 
This is a precious person who's wandering outside of the safety of the pasture. Indeed, they went there on their own free will, asked for what God had to went, and in his love, he let them go. But they are, they are precious in the eyes of God, and they are, child, they are a person who needs to know Jesus. And that's how we react to them, because they are our life mission. And until you and I begin to have that kind of perspective, as difficult as it can be, it's going to be really hard for us to live by grace. Because until we're people who let grace flow through us, the grace really won't flow into us. I've got one last point I want to make. And that's really hit the end. You know, um, I think one of the images that we have that really hamper our ability to experience the grace of God is related to how we see our, why we follow God. You know, we need to change the way we see following after God. You notice how this little interchange between the father and the son, the oldest son and the father, right? The oldest son comes in from the field. He hears the music. He calls over one and says, what's going on? Why is the band here? And why are all of our neighbors here? What's going on, right? He said, well, your, your brother came back. And then the, the father and the son have this interaction, right? And he says, I have been slaving away from you. you. You gave me this job description. I haven't let you down on a single part of it, nothing. But did you ever give me a bonus so that I could have a party with my friends? Not once, right? The son is operating in the father's household as an employee. What does the father say to him? So, son, everything I have, is yours. What is he saying? You're not an employee. You're an owner. It's yours. Your entire motivation for doing what you do should be different than an employee. Right? It's, it's not just about like, all right, I'm punching the clock so I can get my paycheck at the end. Or say, you know what, I'm a little behind on my bills. Christmas is coming up. Let me do a little overtime. I'll go above and beyond. Maybe I'll get a bonus. Maybe. So, and, you know, and a lot of us, we're operating in that mode. Say, you know, I'm in a difficult moment. I got health issues or relationship issues or confused, hurt, pain, whatever. And so we say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a little more. I'm going to read my Bible a little more. I'm going to go to church more often. I'm going to maybe find a place to serve. I'm going to give a little bit more. And, and then we, we kind of watch through. And then it was like, like we're waiting for our spiritual paycheck to show up and say, did it go up or not? You know, did I get that bonus? Did that problem go away? You know, and then when it, when it, when it doesn't, maybe it even gets worse. We say, you know, forget that. I'm not doing that. I'm just going to do the bare minimum, you know, just to keep from getting fired. We have this employee mindset, right? You know, in the way we do it, you know, we're, 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 what, what, what is it that God wants me to do? And on the other end, there's this owner mindset to say, everything that I do builds what's mine. Let me use this contrast for me. So, so many of you were probably like me when you were a kid. You had chores you had to do at home, right? 13, 14, 15 years of age. Clean the garage, cut the grass, rake leaves, shovel snow. And most of you were just like me. What, what is the bottom line of what I got to get done so I don't get in trouble? Right? Right? You say, clean the garage. Right? What does that mean? You know, and, and do, I, do I have to sweep it? And, and you don't want to do anything you don't have to. Right? You're just like, all right, throw the stuff in the driveway, sweep it all out, arrange it a little bit, stuff it back, get a bunch of garbage bags, hide it all in that, throw it back in. And we just want to do the minimum, right? You know, or, or when it comes to yard work, like, all right, rake the yard. You know, it's like, all right, how much do I have to do in order so I don't get in trouble? 
Then what happens when you own a house? Right? And, and, and there's nobody to tell you, go rake the leaves. Or put the seed in. Or you need to go spend way too much money on fertilizer and fertilize your yard. Nobody tells you to do anything. Why do you do it? Because it's yours, right? It belongs to you. It's very much the same mindset. When you and I are coming at it and saying, well, all right, what does God want from me today? Jeez, you know, I just can't wait for the day to be over. Where's the 5 o'clock whistle so I can go home and go live my life the way I want to? This, I guess the kingdom is yours. Grow it and make it better. It's yours. Have an owner mentality, right? You know, and, 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 and so many of us are living our lives with that idea of, God, you know, what, 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 what's, the, what's the bare minimum I need to do so that I can be blessed? Where God says the kingdom is yours, grow it. The reason you pray, the reason you serve, the reason you give, the way you relate to other people, the reason you share your faith is because the kingdom is yours and, and you're growing and you're making it better. And it's yours. And we just need to change the way that we see following after God. It's not the job description that God's given us. It's the gift of ownership in our inheritance that we already have. You know, this story doesn't really have an ending. We don't know what happens to the younger brother. We're not told even what the older brother decides. And and I think that's on purpose. I think that's on purpose. Because you and I are supposed to write the end of the story for ourselves. And that's what I invite you to do today. I got on my best funeral suit. Take all those grace-killing images that you've got of God and bury them and say goodbye, rest in non-peace, right? (laughs) And embrace the new ones. And so my question is, what are your images of God? And are they the ones that allow you to flourish in his grace? And the second question I have is, is the kingdom really yours? Are you an owner yet? You know, and, and, and it, it, again, this whole story as we've looked at it, the whole principle of God's grace is, what, what do I got to do? There's got to be a lot of You know, it's simply you got to need a Savior. Recognize you need a Savior and place your faith in Christ as your Savior. In the kingdom, the, the sandals go on your feet, the ring goes on your finger, the robe goes around your shoulder. The kingdom is yours. Write the end of the story. For yourself. Embrace the images of God, the true images of God that allow us to flourish in His grace and know that we're a part of His kingdom. Let's pray together.